This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Hanson Lee, and he is the founder and managing partner of Salt Partners Group, which is a development and investment company focused on the food and beverage industry. And their portfolio includes the Kren Dining Group, which includes Atelier Kren, Petit Kren, Bar Kren, um, as well as Humphrey Slocum Ice Cream, Local, Saison, High Proof, and Brown Sugar Kitchen. Hanson, welcome to the show. Such a Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we would love to jump right in ahead and um, we'd, we'd love to know, you know, how was your upbringing like and what kind mm-hmm. of family did you grow up in? Where were you born? Um, sure. And what was your upbringing like? Mm-hmm. Sure. No, thank you for having me, Megan, Ryan. Um, I was born in Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, the, um, the least side of my family, my dad's side of the family has been in Hong Kong for many generations. Um, and my mom was born in China. Uh, and then her and her family um, escaped from China um, during the Cultural Revolutions in the 50s uh, and landed in Hong Kong. Um, so, you know, I was born in, you know, a small family in Hong Kong. And then when you know, went to local schools and uh, at, when I was nine years old, uh, my family, my immediate family moved to Taiwan uh, for a job opportunity for my dad. So we lived in Taiwan for three years. Um, and so I speak Mandarin as well, as well as Cantonese. Mm-hmm. I thank the um, television station in Taiwan for teaching me really good Mandarin. <laughs> um, and then uh, age 12, we moved to the U.S. for the first time. Uh, so my dad worked for Kodak for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, unfortunately, a defunct American company. Um, but, you know, Kodak uh, transferred my family over here to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we moved to the U.S. for the first time when I was 12 years old. I still remember vividly. Um, it was December. Um, it was, I was in the middle of middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in, only in Asia, right, up till when I was t- age 12. Um, I still remember flying into Detroit. Uh, the plane landed, and it was like 4 o'clock, 4 p.m., and it was dark. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? Why is it dark already? It's only 4 p.m. Um, and in Rochester, New York, it's near, you know, it's on Lake Ontario across from Toronto. So it's cold. So um, we landed and we got to, got to Rochester. Um, I've never experienced cold. Mm-hmm. Never seen snow, actually. So it was my first time seeing <laughs> snow. Um, and so I, I you know, went to a, you know, a local middle school, uh, but just for one year. And then we left and we moved to Malaysia. Wow. And um, so every time we moved, it was halfway across the world, from Taiwan to New York, New York to Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, and Malaysia was a fun time kind of being there, I was, you know, last year of middle school, first two years of high school, I went to international school, which um, is an interesting setting. Um, the kids, 
there, like me, you know, was part of an expat family, um, a lot of embassy kids as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess it's a sign of times how things have changed. You know, one of my best friends, um, dad, um, worked at the American embassy. Mm-hmm. And I always, I used to, I would used to go to the American embassy to play tennis with her. Wow. Um, like I'm not an American citizen, right? But I was able to just walk into <laughs> the, <laughs> to the compounds, if you will. Um, I don't think we can do that now anymore. <laughs> um, and then after after two and a half years in Malaysia, we moved back to New York again, where I finished mm-hmm. high school. And I've been in the U.S. ever since. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, you know, kind of before college, right, um, it was mostly in Asia with a couple of years in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, kind of back and forth. So, so um, you know, I am very Asian in that I grew up in Asia. I'm mm-hmm. Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, most of my, my adult life, I've been in the U.S. Wow. That's, that's absolutely amazing. I'm just kind of curious, too, like, what was your identity like switching back and forth so frequently? Mm-hmm. You know, how did that affect you, making new friends, learning new cultures, assimilating to American culture, mm-hmm. essentially? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm sure it was hard in the moment, mm-hmm. um, but I think coming out of it is I feel very comfortable with a lot of different situations and mm-hmm. walking into a room and um, because I think I had to face that, mm-hmm. uh, moving from Asia to not even a big city in America, right? Into a small city in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my English wasn't terribly good when I came here to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it forced me to, you know, to really adapt um, and to be fluid right. mm-hmm. um, about, you know, going from, you know, at the suburb of a small city in America, right? And then going and moving to an international high school in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has helped me along the way, right, in terms of being, being able to relate to all sorts of people fairly easily, mm-hmm. um, keeping my mind open, right, with a lot, lot, lot of different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, having been able to grow up in all these different countries, um, you know, really allowed me to see just different personality, different nationalities, right? And mm-hmm. the commonality of it all. Um, and I think it's really helped, right, in terms of my career and mm-hmm. being open to things. That's, that's yeah. really cool. And it's really unique, too. I think mm-hmm. that some of these experiences are only unique to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying, sitting here trying to imagine, like, what was it like growing up in Stanton, you know? <laughs> uh, we're kind of curious, too, like, what was your parents' emphasis in education? Mm-hmm. Because obviously you're, you're extremely smart. You, know, you went to Stanford mm-hmm. for undergrad, mm-hmm. got your master's there, and you got an MBA all at Stanford, you know? Mm-hmm. What was the emphasis in education in your family like? Yeah, and on top of that, you know, what were your parents doing? And did they have like a set plan for you? Like, did they want you to go through a certain route? No, my parents were very lazy fair, right? In that way, they were very American right? <laughs> and not very typically, you know, Chinese. Uh, you know, my dad was in, you know, worked for American Corporation for, you know, most of his career. Uh, my mom was a high school teacher um, in Hong Kong. And then after we left Hong Kong, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I never had any pressure in terms of being a certain career. Um, the only thing that I think the only time I, my, my, my father suggested something to me was like, you should look into like material science, right? This was like in the <laughs> early nineties, right? Like mm-hmm. semiconductors and, and, you know, I'm not 
I never had an interest in it, you know. So <laughs> that quickly passed, right? Um, now, I ended up marrying a material science engineer. And funny how it goes around. And, you know, I mean, you know, economics certainly was important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, uh, it was never pressured. Um, and, you know, they didn't have a prescribed, you know, you need to go to this college. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never say you have to go to medical school or, you know, be a professional. Um, so they were very supportive, right? And without, you know, they didn't, they support it without giving specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I've, you know, I try to do, I have two kids now, mm-hmm. uh, 12 year old and a and an 11 year old and you know i tried to be the same to them right in terms of guiding right but without you know without telling them right being giving them a the, the end yeah um, i mean we, we actually love that too that your parents are so you know lousy fair about things mm-hmm. um, i can honestly say my parents were too they just like mm-hmm. they told me just do what makes you happy as long as you can feed yourself <laughs> that, was, that was the minimum criteria for my parents. You know? <laughs> it was good because it really, you know, I think us like like not having to be pressured into a certain mode or a certain mm-hmm. feel really gave us a lot of creativity to like become the person that we should become. You mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. that kind of links back to a lot of issues with um, Asian students, like in the Western culture, who are mm-hmm. facing mental health because they have not been able to express themselves freely. And it's really mm-hmm. great that, um, you know, your parents have really laissez-faire about raising you. Mm-hmm. And we want to dive deeper into like more, we want to learn more about salt. You know, like mm-hmm. we understood that it took you about 10 years before you got started. Mm-hmm. You know? And this is something that you formulated back while you were at Stanford. And you're like, mm-hmm. hey, what if we work together with creatives and restaurant mm-hmm. owners to really blow their business up? We think that's a fantastic idea, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. Contrary to all the naysayers, we're super glad you walked up all of them. <laughs> and, and we really appreciate why did you pick the name Salt as well. You know? uh-huh. Sure. Um, so I started Salt in 2014 after really um, thinking about kind of what, we want, what I want to do for the rest of my career. Right? And I started with writing a business plan. I knew I wanted to do something in food where my passion lies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the name of... The, the name of salt, right, really match in terms of kind of my starting hypothesis, right, of the business I want to build. Um, you know, salt, we're the business partner to a bunch of great chefs and bartenders and brands in the food space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a very conscientious choice on the word salt, right, in that salt is a very important ingredient in cooking, as we all know. A great piece of steak doesn't taste good without salt, mm-hmm. uh, but it's never named um, as an ingredient, right, on a menu. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we see our role so far with working with our portfolio companies is that we are, we are in the background, um, making sure that the business runs well, that the business is sustainable, is successful. Uh, we plan, uh, we strategize mm-hmm. and, um, and to build, you know, a business that requires both the creative part mm-hmm. and also the sustainable business part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we do as salt. Um, and it also happens that I love the Chinese character for salt, mm-hmm. which I think is a beautiful word and is our logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so there's a little bit of the history of how, you know, salt came to be. 
Yeah, we, we love that the history yeah. too, and we love the support mindset that you guys have moving like that you had moving forward with this company. I mean, that's the exact same way that how we feel about Asian Hustle Network. You know, you guys can be so well. We're happy to be, to be the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very much so, right? And you know, as you know, as I've now done this for five years, right? And you know, we have some great partnerships with like Chef Dominic Kren, uh, with the ice cream brand Humphrey Sokum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I've been thinking about kind of the next five years, right, mm-hmm. in terms of where we go as salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the last five years, we've opened, you know, a dozen restaurants and have been involved with, so amazing. You know, with, you know, ice cream shop all the way to Mission Three Star restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we know a lot, right, as our team, um, have been, been involved with the operations and opening of these restaurants. We know a lot now and, you know, we're in the plans of, you know, trying to figure out something to do on our own and creating our own concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to be seen in terms of how, you know, and this pandemic is, you know, looking back at my career, right? I was in tech um, during the internet bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in finance in 2009. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in the restaurant business, right? In COVID. So there's been three black swans in my career already. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm going to take this opportunity to you know, create something new as well. Um, nothing like a little pandemic to start a new company. Yeah. Well, and that's, oh, I was just going to say, well, we love that mindset, you mm-hmm. know, and that's really all it takes to become successful in this pandemic. And I read this article and it talked about the difference between entrepreneurs and CEOs. Um, in this pandemic and the mindset behind those two different entrepreneurs. And you really have to have a positive mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. CEOs and entrepreneurs who keep using terms like buy and opportunity and, you know, um, positivity, those are the ones who do really well as opposed to, you know, entrepreneurs who use like panic or, you know, Trump Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are really key differences and you know we know that you were part of capital one and i would love to mm-hmm. know how you were able to make that transition mm-hmm. um, from capital one to going into the food and beverage industry and mm-hmm. you know brian and i we come across a lot of people who are in the food and beverage industry and mm-hmm. we hear a lot about how you know it's a really hard industry to get into Um, the profit margin is very slim and you really have to do things accurately and correctly if you want to succeed in the restaurant industry. And um, from your perspective, you know, like how were you able to, you know, get into the food and beverage industry Mm -hmm. and how did you know that you wanted to um, learn more about it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, You know, I joined Capital Run right after college and worked there for um, almost four years. Uh, That's my first job out of college. Um, I loved it. Um, I, met my wife there. I still have lifelong friends uh, from Capital One. And it's, you know, I have very fond memories of the place. Um, and, you know, then I went into, after Capital One, I jumped into a startup, right? This was 1999, uh, 2000. So during the internet bubble days. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't know, I mean, it was my first startup. Didn't know anything, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. it was just I mean, looking back, like I was really dumb <laughs> um, uh, about what we're trying to build. Um, the idea was great. You know, we had a lot of execution problems. Um, and then after that startup, we sold part of it. Um, and I went to business school. And this was during, you know, the recession, right? 2001, 2002. Yeah. Um, 
And it was during that business school time where, you know, I had time to both, you know, obviously business school is great in terms of being exposed to a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and also having time, right, to really think and reflect Mm -hmm. um, a lot of conversation with other people going through the same thing, right, the dialogues uh, you end up having. And this is when SALT was really born, right, the idea of SALT. Um, And now I've always loved cooking. Um, I love, you know, I love feeding people, Mm -hmm. uh, the act of feeding people. Um, now I was never, you know, I never worked in a real kitchen, you know, at best I was a barista for a couple of weeks, you know, at a coffee place that I opened. Um, but I've always loved the immediate gratification that a good restaurant, bar, cafe can give to people. Right. And, um, you know, is, is a way to deliver happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds very frou-frou in ways, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get a big kick out of walking into any of my restaurants, right? And there are dozens and dozens, dozens of people who are just a little bit happier, right? Because of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's very fulfilling. And I think that's a common theme, right? If you talk to other, like a lot of people in the food industry, right? It's, it is that little bit, is the hospitality that you can give and the happiness that you can create that right. really makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned in terms of the food business being a hard business. Uh, it certainly is. I'm not, you know, I, I, I live and breathe it every day. Um, but I would say that everything is difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess if it's not, then it becomes difficult <laughs> as more people start doing it. Right. Um, so I would say that with the restaurant business, um, there are a lot of inherent and unique challenges in terms of running a restaurant and a food business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to remind myself that, Okay, first rule is actually, you know, making sure that we don't get people sick. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, obviously, delivering hospitality, um, we rely a lot uh, on staff, right, to, do, to, to deliver that hospitality and the food. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people management challenges and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, in terms of, you know, the idea that food is more harder than other industry, Mm-hmm. or the margin is thinner than other industry, mm-hmm. I would say that everything is hard. <laughs> um, and, but everything could be successful also. Um, you know, I'm sure just back and forth right between the three of us, mm-hmm. we can name dozens and dozens of restaurants that are successful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be all losing money or close within the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your question, Maggie, of how I got into the food business, um, it was, I just did, which is not a very satisfying answer. I understand. <laughs> How long to it? <laughs> uh, um, I, again, I didn't start salt until, you know, I was almost 40 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So after working for many years, mm-hmm. um, and after working in finance for 10 years after business school and before business school, I was in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I never worked for a food company or a restaurant company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no... You know, I can't, I couldn't draw, you know, A, B, C, D, E for you in terms of how I got into food. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, although I do remind you, right, I was very you know, specific and conscientious, right, in terms of developing my own business plan of mm-hmm. here's why I bring certain advantages mm-hmm. or different perspective mm-hmm. to have a chance to be successful right, yeah. in the food business. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Um, now, I'm not working in the kitchen. I'm not working, you know, as a manager in the restaurant, right? I'm still the business guy, right? So I'm still using what I, I am really good at, right? I'm good at investing. I'm good at looking at strategy. Uh, I'm, I'm good at, you know, working with people. Yeah. Um, and the three things that I just mentioned could be for food, could be for movies, could be for a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is where kind of where you find kind of where your skills right. and it, how it, you know, is intersects with your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky, right, that I know my passion. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people don't, right? And that's part of the kind of ongoing challenge, right, um, of, you know, finding what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then how do you create that opportunity for it to be a sustainable career? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I was lucky, right, that I found that. Um, now, I also would say that, you know, I waited a while. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the exact same business plan 10 years prior may not be as successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so also, also knowing a little bit about yourself, right. In terms of when to take that entrepreneurial risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, you know, it's not necessary that an entrepreneur needs to be in their twenties, right. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably entrepreneurs in the forties should do better, right. Because they know more. <laughs> They've seen more. Yeah, yeah. We're watching you and obviously you're a huge role model to us. You know, you, you have a, a really great reputation around the Bay as well. I'm mm-hmm. extremely happy to like, even, even talk to you and learn from you right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's your mindset that really appeals to us right now. It's like, you know, obviously uh, you're facing a lot of different challenges right now. And mm-hmm. the fact is you're seeing these, these things as opportunities to do more, you know, to mm-hmm. reinvent yourself. It's, it's actually, it's actually very refreshing to hear something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I still remember when the, when COVID hit, right. in mid March, um, now, because I have family in Hong Kong, right? So I, I knew it was coming, right? And even though you can see it coming, you never, like, you didn't anticipate that to be, like, this shock, right, of, mm-hmm. of it being here. Um, and, you know, the last two weeks of March, right, was just was a lot of scrambling about just, okay. I, like, I remember making an analogy to a friend was, like, someone set my house on fire. Mm-hmm. And the fire department is not coming, right? Because someone asked me to close the restaurant. I have to close it. Yeah. And there was no help, right? There's no, okay, we'll do this for you, right? There's nothing afterwards. Exactly. Um, so it was just a lot of scrambling, right, at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was very conscientious, right, in terms of working with my team and, you know, our restaurants, right, to, to not think about going back to normal, mm-hmm. um, I think is 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 a full fool's errand in terms of wanting to go back to what it was before, right. um, because that mindset right requires you to look ahead of what the new is going to be, right, and the new normal, right, and you know you can either hope for return to back, mm-hmm. you know, back to normal, or you can define the new normal, right, be more proactive about creating that future and now it's it sounds great you know i am optimistic and believe in it and it's still really hard (laughs) right because of so much unknown in the future and um so you know i'm still very optimistic that you know people will still need to eat 
Mm-hmm. Um, restaurants is still an important place, right, for all of us, right, mm-hmm. for cultural reasons, for us Asians, or just you know, some in terms of as a, a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but how it look like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm hopefully in a position, right, to create some of that future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and speaking of COVID nineteen in the restaurant industry, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty right now. And, you know, California, or at least the Bay Area, had recently announced that they were closing all of outdoor dining again, um, Mm -hmm. now that we're in mid-July. And I'm just curious, you know, there's a lot of culture that goes within, you know, eating out. Um, You enter into a restaurant and you see a lot of the heritage and the culture that goes on. You know, Mm -hmm. you you get a glimpse of what the owner is trying to portray in their Mm -hmm. dishes, in their decor, in their interior, everything Mm -hmm. in the restaurant. And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, how can restaurant owners maintain that culture now that, you know, we're in COVID-19, we're going back into quarantine. And we had a podcast recording with Andrew Chow Boba guys recently. And, you know, he mentioned that, yes, he's going to have to do like a drive-by for Boba guys where mm-hmm. people just like pick up Boba for like mm-hmm. 10 seconds and they go. But there's also that part where it's, it's really sad because, you know, you spend so much time putting so much, you know, work into building the interior and portraying that culture and that heritage to your customers, but you, you aren't able to do that anymore. And so I would love to learn from you, you know, how are restaurant owners supposed to be able to maintain that culture within the restaurants now? Um, it's funny. You, you, I mean, this is a great question, right? Because I, I was just, you know, I was at um, Bar Cren today, one of my restaurants, right? And it's a beautiful restaurant, right? And it makes me sad, yeah. right? That, Mm-hmm. Uh, you too can't go there now, right? And I don't know when you can go to Bar Cren. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this goes back to kind of looking, you know, wishing you can go back there, right? In terms of like back to normal, right? Um, and the challenge, right, is, okay, how do I still deliver what I want to deliver, right? Is a feeling, right, of Bar Cren or Humphrey Silk on my screen or you know, for Andrew and being for Boba guys, right? Mm-hmm. How do I still d- deliver that brand hospitality and that feeling to you without you being physically in there? Mm-hmm. Um, now, restaurants is unique in that, yes, you have to, you know, more often than not, you have to be in a space to eat that food, right? And within that food is to what you mentioned, Maggie, which is, you know, the environment, right? the interior design is a immersive experience. Right. The best dining experience is, you know, includes that element. element. Mm-hmm. Right. But I would also suggest, right, the best eating experience oftentimes doesn't require any of that, mm-hmm. right? It requires your dining companion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You guys have been in restaurants where you just get lost in conversation or you're in the round table, right? You don't see all the stuff, Right. Mm-hmm. But you still have a great time. You still have a fond memory, right, of eating at that place. Mm-hmm. And this is another example, right? Um, you know, there are pl- plenty of products, you know, the glasses you're wearing, right, or the shirt you're wearing. You're buying it, right, as a brand, mm-hmm. and then bread is making a, a, that brand is making a promise to you without you having, you know, walk into a Albert store, right, or that store, but somehow you still have that familiarity, right? And that mm-hmm. closeness to that brand, mm-hmm. even though you might not have never been into that store. Yeah. Or talk to the owner of that brand. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So restaurant is a really weird animal, right? When I talk about it that way, where like, yeah, you equate Woma guys with Andrew and Ben, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, equivalently, right? You know, find a fashion brand, right? Do you like, would you talk about those founders, right? The way that you might think about with, you know, Dominic Crenn and the restaurant group, right? Or, you know, with, you know, Andrew and Ben, right? For Boba guys. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really long answer to your question, Maggie, which is that I almost can't think about, you know, the investment of what we built, right? And yes, there'll be a day when restaurants will open again and you can come to Bar Cran, right? Or come to Horse Feather and come to any one of my restaurants. But in the meantime, right, the challenge ahead, right, and the opportunity ahead, right, is how do I still deliver great product, great food to you without you being physically in the space? How do I still have a relationship with you right. without, you, without you being in the space? Um, so, you know, um, and, you know, there are a lot of great restaurants in the Bay, in the Bay Area who really excel, right, in the takeout food, like right, yeah. that they've, they've developed over the last three, four months. Right. Um, and it's amazing, right? When, you know, world-class chefs is a little more thoughtful about, okay, this dish should go into this box mm -hmm. and I'm going to cook it this way because it will travel better. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really basic stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, but it turns out great. I mean, there's so much great takeout opportunities right now. Um, so anyhow, it is, it, is, it is sad. I won't lie, right? In terms of right. all the efforts that we put in to creating that immersive experience. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, I think there's still a way for us to build that customer brand relationship, right, without the physical space. Yeah. And I do think, like, this entire conversation, there's really, really good points, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I think that just having the right timing of market fit, too. I mean, like mm -hmm. you said before, you waited 10 years before you execute this idea. Mm -hmm. I just want to have our listeners here that it's never too late you know you have mm -hmm. an idea that you're kind of thinking about sit on it for a little bit until you're ready mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. nothing worse about executing a great idea during the wrong time yeah you know? and so i think that's uh, you know i i i think reading you know different entrepreneur books right and talking to a lot of entrepreneurs right mm -hmm. um um, you know, I've also, you know, listened to like, you know, the, how I built this podcast, right? Um, there's no path, right, to us entrepreneurship. Um, there's no playbook. I think there are some probably common themes about the characteristics of the people involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people just like you did, right, in terms of asking how I got into food, right? And like, I've tried to come up with like, you know, a more elegant answer, <laughs> more thoughtful answer. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that, no, there's actually no why <laughs> of, of what I did before that would naturally lead me to or prepare me for to go into, you know, the food business. That's just how life usually is, you know. Sometimes mm -hmm. it comes unexpectedly, but the fact that you've been thinking about food, it means that it's, it's ongoing passion. It is. It's certainly an ongoing passion, right? And I've been involved with restaurants, right, as a, as a side hustle, right, before uh, starting Salt Partners. Um, so I have a little bit of understanding, right, in terms of what I was, I wasn't completely blind mm -hmm. about getting into the restaurant business. Um, and again, I think a lot of what I learned through my career of you know, managing people, looking at strategy, making database decisions, mm -hmm. all those things are relevant, right, no matter what industry you're in, um, if you're trying to build a good business. Yeah, I think you did a really good thing, too, because essentially 
you're using your strength to its full potential mm-hmm. and you're partnering up with people that fit your passion that something that you that you know perhaps you're lacking like you, you don't have the ability to cook you know you don't know the in and outs of like seasoning and restaurant stuff but you know the business side of things mm-hmm. and because you're so comfortable with that side and you still want to pursue your passion you made it work you know, some people still, 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 still trying to make it work. Still <laughs> yeah. trying to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to someone who was graduating from business school this year. Uh, it was like March or April, uh-huh. and he was interested to get into the food business, right? And you know, like middle of April, I, I was like a, I was a beat down man, um, <laughs> and you know, I I told him like he know he at that time he knew as much about the food business as I do, right? Because everything that I've known. It's just different yeah. Um, yeah. and kind of have to relearn everything. Um, but this is also where, you know, you have a lot of reps, right? You've seen the movie, you've seen patterns like before. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I have seen the patterns, right? That we can, mm-hmm. you know, draw a new path out of this. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, going back to what you originally said, you, you having no experience in the restaurant industry, I think that goes for a lot of Asian parents as well. When they hear of their children wanting to go into a certain industry, like for example, if I wanted to tell my parents, I want to go into a restaurant, um, go into the restaurant industry, they would tell me why, like you, you aren't mm-hmm. a professional chef, like you know nothing about, you know, running a restaurant, like why would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Or let's say I want to do, um, go into apparel. They would say, Oh, can you even make money that way? Like mm-hmm. they would think you're like selling, um, clothes out, mm-hmm. out of like the fashion district or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I think everything that you said was very accurate. You know, as long as you have a, b- a good business acumen, as long as you are strategic, as long as you're innovative, you know, you can succeed and um, do really well in any industry, regardless mm-hmm. of what it is, as long as you are smart about it and you are very strategic. And so I would love to know, you know, what would be your advice to an aspiring entrepreneur who is trying to get into um, the restaurant industry, whether that be, you know, uh, opening a restaurant or um, purchasing a restaurant or going into investing into restaurants? Um, Just be very thoughtful. I think Um, for me is the thought, I like using the word thoughtful because then it is, like knowing the risk that you're getting into right. um, and being real about it. Yeah. Um, and yes, have optimism and hopefulness. I think that's required to be an entrepreneur, but I think also right, the other side of the same coin, right, is to be realistic, right? And to be calculating is too strong of a word, right? But, you know, good entrepreneurs know when to fold, right? Mm-hmm. They know when to, pivot, change. Um, and I think that for anyone who's going into the restaurant business, right, is um, a willingness, right, to have that kind of pinging, you know, going back and forth on a river. Um, this is never straight in terms of, in terms of the path. Mm-hmm. Um, the restaurant industry is a very people-intensive industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if one is, you know, if you actually, if, if you want to open a restaurant or or buy a restaurant, uh, you have to be prepared, right, to really like working with people, 
like and be honest with yourself, right? That you actually <laughs> like working with people. And working, you know, with people in a office setting, right. right? It's very different, right? In terms of working in an environment where like, all right, we need to produce something like right this minute, right? right? There's no emails back and forth, <laughs> right? It's, you have to get that dish out. You have to serve the customer that is standing in front of you. And that creates a lot of stress and angst. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think unless you really work in a restaurant setting or settings like that, right? Um, you, 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 you don't, you know how, you don't know how intense it could be, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's like having, you know, a, you know, working with, you know, your managers or your employees is similar to having like many, many different personal relationships, right. right? Not exactly, you know, in terms of like a, you know, like a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, right? But it is intense, right? You're making a lot of decisions together all the time. And mm-hmm. so I would suggest anyone who wants to get into the restaurant business, right? Like ask deep in yourself, right? <laughs> Is How do I feel about working with a lot of different people very intensely all day long? Right. Um, everything else in terms of, you know, the profit margin and all that, you know, uh, back to my point earlier, right? Is everything is kind of hard. Uh, everything, everything requires work, right? There's no, you know, there's no you know, easy pot of gold under the rainbow. <laughs> and um, in restaurants, it's just a people-intensive business. Um, you don't get your weekends. You don't get your nights. You don't get your holidays, right? So it's just also <laughs> uh, eyes wide open, right? That's that's completely part of your life. Yeah. Um, but. You know, it is rewarding, right? That little dose of happiness I mentioned, right? In terms of seeing your customers happy. Right. Um, yeah. Love that. Yeah, love it. That's very sound advice. And I think that goes for every entrepreneur in any industry. That, you know, as long as you have grit and, you know, you have determination. that dedication, determination, you can make it. Yeah. And, 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 and the self-awareness, right? Again, yeah. just the self-awareness that, uh, and grit comes in many different forms, right? Um, you know, like a, uh, an engineering, you know, coding through the night, right? Is a different type of grit than dealing with like 30 screaming customers. Right? <laughs> it's the same type of like, you know, endurance, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But, but it's very different, right? What are, what, which type do you want, right? Yeah. And that you can bear with, right? So having that self-awareness, I think is very important, right? In terms of before you jump into either a restaurant or any other entrepreneur endeavor. Yeah. That, yeah, it is actually like to know enough that is actually what I'm willing to 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 endure. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. We are at the top of the hour, but I would love to have you tell our listeners where we can find more about you mm-hmm. and your company, Salt. Sure. Um, I actually have a website. It took me a while to create one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so on my website, saltpg.com, you can find kind of all of our portfolio companies. Uh, and yeah, and, you know, uh, thank you so much, Maggie and Brian. Uh, you guys are doing great work at HN. Um, I love reading. I, I, I'm so appreciative of all the people, like everyone telling their story. Like there's so many good writers about kind of telling their own story. It's amazing, right, in terms of um, of, of, of just an interesting story, but also how well thought out and you know written they are. Um, so thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being the show. We yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, Hanson. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. 
We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.